For listeners tuning in for the first time, welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And if you joined us for the past two seasons, then welcome back. I couldn't be more excited for the next installment of our show. As you may know, I've spent the last 15 years covering technology and learning how it works, demystifying everything from massive parallel processing to advanced robotics and everything in between. Yet it's the conversations with some of the most forward-thinking leaders, those at the intersection of technology and business, that fascinate me the most. On this season, we explore their unique missions, challenges, and approaches to driving their organizations forward, building bridges to what's next, and leveraging transformative technologies available today, like 5G, to create a more connected and meaningful future. What are they looking forward to tackling next, and how will they get there? Let's find out. In this episode, I spend some time with Steve Grubbs, CEO and co-founder of Victory XR. Steve has dedicated his time and efforts toward transforming education through technology. As we'll hear, he began that journey in the public service sector, but discovered he could make an impact faster while pursuing an entrepreneurial pathway. I sat down with Steve to talk about how a convergence of technologies and connectivity have set the stage for a revolution in education. And beyond that, how these same technologies are providing the foundation for the future of work, communication, and the metaverse. Steve, first of all, thank you so much for joining the show. Welcome to The Restless Ones. Glad to be here. First, I want to say that you and I share something in common in that we have parental figures who are teachers And I imagine that was one of those things that really shaped you early on. Can you talk about developing a passion for education and how you initially pursued that before going on to become an entrepreneur? Sure. So imagine having Clint Eastwood as your dad. My dad was a, a tough guy, football coach, and a social studies teacher. I actually had him as a teacher. He was a good teacher. He was uh, an innovator. I really respected that. But having said that, he didn't make very much money. And I always thought to myself, hmm, I think I want to make a little bit more money than that. So I made the decision to go into the Iowa legislature which made even less money than being a school teacher. And I was chair of the House Education Committee for four years and wrote the state's first technology funding bill that put computers and internet and all of the things that we needed to do to move into the modern technological eras. I left that and joined the world of entrepreneurship. And one thing that I I found really fascinating was this realization that I think a lot of people don't appreciate, which is the thought that simply throwing technology at a challenge does not solve the challenge. It takes a more nuanced, complex approach. And I think that that's a trap that a lot of school districts fall into, this idea of we've managed to get hold of this technology, but what comes next? It doesn't appear to be that there was as much thought given to how to make use of the technology in a meaningful way. And it seems to me like that was a core component of your philosophy when you were moving forward. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we were able to get every school in the state of Iowa connected to the internet, make sure they all had computers. But at the end of the day, we didn't really move the numbers much on some of the objective measurements that we were looking at. And I thought about that a lot. And and really, 
I came to the conclusion that when students love to learn, they learn. And it's that way for all of us, right? You know, I, I love to cook. So I love to learn new recipes. I love to understand how various cooking items react together, spices, etc. And because of that, learning is not hard. It's very easy. And it's the same thing when we all had that class that we really loved. You know, maybe it was art class, science class, literature, but when you love a class, it's just easy. You just pour yourself into it. So thinking about how to make a difference globally in education, that's, that's the issue. You know, how do you make it so that students love to learn? And I can remember I put on a virtual reality headset in 2015, and while everybody else put it on and said gaming, I put it on and said, wow, education. Imagine learning in this immersive way, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality, it will completely change the way students consume learning and the way they embrace learning. And thus far, we've been uh, proven to be correct. I, I identify so strongly with what you have said. I have encountered VR and, and AR, various mixed reality exhibits, for example, in museums and have just marveled at what is possible now and the way to get information across that previously might have come across as being very dry and distanced and removed from the person who is there, you know, and, and there's just, you don't, it doesn't sink in. You don't have that connection, but mixed reality creates the opportunity for that connection. And to me, that's what creates that opportunity for real learning, not just memorizing dates and numbers, but having a deeper understanding and appreciation for whatever the subject matter is. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly right. And I like to think about some of the experiences we've developed when you dissected animals in high school, which is a big thing in the United States, not as big outside the United States, but Carolina Biological helped us develop these amazing animal dissections. So instead of cutting open a, a real frog, with the formaldehyde and the whole deal, our students can pick up their floppy frog. It moves just like the real thing. They can cut it open, remove the organs, examine them, throw them in the air, and then press a button and the frog comes back together and is back alive. These are the amazing opportunities. And some people might scoff and say, well, that's not the real thing. But the bottom line is, think about an airline pilot. Would you really get on a commercial airliner where the pilot had skipped his simulator training, you know, I think most of us would not. The fact that we can build learning simulators that are more affordable for schools, saving taxpayer dollars, and second, give students a deeper learning opportunity that they can repeat as often as they choose to, increases the fun of learning and also increases the retention. Absolutely. I really am somewhat envious of the generations that will be going to school in the near future and those who are in school now for the kinds of experiences that they will be able to have to connect that to the technology. Obviously, the only reason why we're able to do this is because we've had the convergence of multiple technologies and their evolution that enable these kind of experiences. Can you talk a little bit about some of the technologies that are the foundation for what you're building with these metaversities? 
Sure. So first of all, we should define what a metaversity is so people understand. You know, for most of the last few years, what schools and, and universities have done is they have introduced virtual reality as a tool into the classroom. What we have done that is dramatically different, but sounds close to the same thing, is instead of VR being a tool in the classroom, we made virtual reality the classroom. Now, what that means is we take these two terms. We take uh, metaverse, which is a persistent digital world that you can immerse yourself into. And we take university, and everybody knows what a university is, and we put them together as a metaversity. So, for example, let's take Morehouse College. Morehouse College was the really the pioneer in this field. And Fisk University in Nashville, another pioneer. So these are the two examples that really sort of broke ground. And if you look at what they did at Morehouse College, they launched three classes, Inorganic Chemistry, Biology 105, and World History. So in World History, they had a week on World War II. And they came to us and said, we want to be able to teach this in a way that's meaningful for students. So instead of building a classroom, a VR classroom with four walls, we provided them with a battleship. And so the students that week sat on chairs on the battleship as it floated in the Pacific, and the whiteboard was there, and then their professor, Professor Ovel Hamilton, United States Navy retired, he taught the class, and he would take them on tours of the battleship and explain what it was for and how it was used. Now, move to inorganic chemistry. So you can't see molecules in the real world, but in this inorganic chemistry class, they went to space, they worked with molecules that were three foot wide, they would build molecules, deconstruct them, and suddenly learning came alive. And then finally, biology 105, which is really known as men's health. When they were learning about sexual reproduction, they shrunk down to the size of Ant-Man, then they hopped into a fallopian tube and traveled along with sperm. So there you go. That's hard to do in the real world. And it brings learning to life in a way that uh, has literally never before been possible. So those are a couple of examples. And getting back to your question about new technologies, what we're seeing that's going to shape this new world are the intersection of these technologies. First of all, really advanced virtual reality creation and virtual reality hardware. You know, hardware from companies like Quest, which has the amazing uh, MetaQuest 2, then uh, Vive with their Focus 3 and Pico Neo 3. These are amazing headsets. And then HP has a tethered headset that really gives clarity. So you've got these big companies creating great hardware. Then second is 5G. 5G is very important so that you're not just tethered to locations where there's Wi-Fi. If you want to put on your augmented reality glasses or your virtual reality headset, you can do so and you can do it anywhere that there's 5G. And so this makes a big difference. And then you've got the whole world of cryptocurrency. So suddenly in these worlds, you'll have a new form of currency that uh, allows you to you know, buy various digital assets. And then finally, the concept of blockchain and NFTs. So if you create assets, you can now protect them by minting them as NFTs. And this is one of the services that we now offer. So you've got these amazing technologies that are all intersecting at the same time. And as they intersect, 
you're going to see this persistent digital world that opens up around us and it literally changes everything. This really makes me think of all the different science fiction visions of what the world was going to be, everything from Minority Report to even we've seen like early examples of augmented reality hardware like Google Glass, which had 5G, which I, I agree. I think 5G is the key component in many ways to what we're seeing right now because it frees us up from both a physical tether whenever you're in whatever location you're using your mixed reality glasses. But it also frees us up from having to rely on being in one of those places where fiber gets rolled out. Kind of a, a side note, the, where I live in the city of Atlanta, there's no fiber connection that goes through my neighborhood at all. I don't have that access. Having access to something like uh, 5G connectivity where I'm able to get those same speeds, that low latency, that high bandwidth, that's incredibly valuable. And for something where you're talking about such an intensive computational process where you need to have low latency or else, as I'm sure you've experienced, any latency in any kind of mixed reality uh, situation, that's just grounds for disaster. You're going to have motion sickness. So you cannot have that. And to me, that's those are all the pieces that are making this so exciting because, again, I remember back to the early days of virtual reality where those pieces weren't in place. And those were the reasons why VR failed the first time through. A, a couple of things. What a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't realize until I really got deeply involved in all of this, is the power of 5G, especially when it comes to latency. So, you know, you always hear people talk about, oh, it's got this big fat pipe and, you know, maybe you can get you know, this many gigs per second or per minute, no matter what that lands at. Really, the value is the latency. And so the reason that's important is because if you and I are both in this metaverse world, either on our computers or through AR glasses or, or a VR headset, and you're a thousand miles apart, away from me, and you reach into the cavity of a cadaver and you lift up a human heart. Now, I'm across the table from you, and I see you lifting up that human heart, and then I see you extend your hand to me to hand me that heart. Even though I'm a thousand miles away, I reach over and I grab that heart, and I feel it in my hand through haptics. Now, what just occurred there has to be brought in by whatever device you have on, that data, you lifting your arm or picking up the human heart, has to then travel through your headset, through your 5G, and then through the entire network a thousand miles away into my headset. And I need to see all of that happen in ideally 20 milliseconds or less. The optimal 5G is occurring on the edge, which is where you're doing the processing at a local tower. That's happening in like three milliseconds at the best speed. And that's about the speed that a hummingbird flaps its wings, which is just crazy fast. So this is why 5G is so important. And, you know, I don't think T-Mobile is concerned about me mentioning this, but we are working on an amazing project that's going to deliver medical training and some fun games through AR glasses that will be delivered through 5G. And it'll be a while before that hits the market, but when it does, it will literally change everything. 
Conventional thinking says you have to pay more to get more. I want the world. But T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to deliver premium benefits for better ROI. From customized 5G solutions to 360 support, we help you reach your business goals right now. I want it now. Innovating to improve business today and tomorrow. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. I've been waiting for the moment of the sort of the killer app for VR and AR. Obviously, there are very passionate communities that have sprung up, particularly around virtual reality, particularly in the gaming space. Obviously, there are industrial uses as well and have been. I mean, augmented reality started that way. But what do you see as being sort of the killer app for the the general public? Do you think... We're very far off from that. Are we at that cusp of VR and AR becoming truly a mainstream technology? So, you know, I think there's different levels of killer apps. The first level of killer app is simply communication and audio. When I can tap the side of my glasses and say, call Kelly, who happens to be my wife. Suddenly it rings Kelly and I can choose to double tap and see a little window in the upper right portion of the lens and I can see her or I can leave the video off and just drive and, and talk to her that way. You know, no phone in my pocket. Then I'm done talking to people and now I just want to, you know, play some Boston. And so I listened to a little Boston for a while. And then I uh, get to the hotel and I say, play some nightly news. And so now I get 10 minutes of nightly news on my glasses. And then I need to hop on a meeting with some people in Australia, you know, go to my 11 p.m. meeting. And now I'm, I'm in the meeting. So this is the vision. And our piece of that vision is one that will help students and consumers engage with the world. I also like that I learned that we share a common love for Boston. So that ends up being yet another common element between the two of us. That's right. I think this is a pretty safe guess that you would say the metaverse really is going to be as important and transformational as the dawn of the web. Is that do you, is that how you feel? Yeah. I mean, so first of all, let's go back before that. You've had these major moments in time where communication and the delivery of information or entertainment changed forever. You know, think about when Marconi launched radio. Suddenly everybody had to have a radio. And, and that was this very important. I can remember my grandfather uh, telling me that they would go sit in the car and listen to his father, who was playing music in a church, you know, two states away, but it was being broadcast on the radio. And so changed everything. Then television did the same thing in the 50s. And then, you know, you get into the modern era and suddenly the internet opens up the world and then phones move to that next level. And, and now we're approaching this immersive spatial communication time. I really do think that AR is going to be one of those technologies that will increasingly find its way into our lives. I 
don't think it's going to be that far off before we start seeing companies offering up smart windows that can act as displays for various purposes. Uh, We've already seen it incorporated into vehicles in different ways. So we're just at the very cusp of that as well. And I think we're going to see that extend. I think everyone thinks of them as glasses, you know, the idea of wearing glasses for augmented reality, and surely that will be part of it. But I think it's going to extend so far beyond that into several other modalities. All of this, again, is ways where we can marry the power of the digital world with our physical existence. And it can have such an enormous impact on everything. I think that's exactly right. You know, if you look at some of the science fiction, you just have a little dot that's on the side of their head. So it's interacting directly with your brain, sort of an Elon Musk uh, Neuralink. You know, I think that's probably 20 years away. But in the span of human time, 20 years is not very long. It's true. To step beyond classrooms, we've seen this technology being used in class, virtual or otherwise. Are you also looking at using it for things such as workplace training so that it could extend beyond the direct educational system and even to things like uh, corporate training and things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. I have a separate company called Chalkbytes, and Chalkbytes focuses on corporate training. So I can give you one really great example. So OSHA, which is the, you know, the, the workplace safety standards that the federal government creates, very important that if you're a warehouse supervisor or a place of employment supervisor, you need to know and understand where the violations are. We have an actual warehouse where you enter in there with an OSHA trainer and then you walk through the warehouse. So instead of just like learning about it on slides, a slide deck, you actually walk through the warehouse. You see how a crate is blocking an exit door. You see a uh, fire extinguisher that's out of place, things like that. So you, you experience the learning rather than just reading about it and falling asleep. Then your trainer is gone and you have to walk through the facility and identify those violations and take your little laser pointer and zap them. And uh, by doing that, you score yourself into a good score. But, you know, this is the type of experiential learning that's hard to get to. Previously, an employer might have to send their rural Georgia employees to Atlanta for a couple of days for this sort of training. Now they can stay wherever they're at and pop on their headset and suddenly they are there with a live trainer. So that's the type of workplace training. You can do the same thing with almost anything because we now have true physics built into VR as well as haptics, which is something where you can actually feel. And so that makes all the difference in the world. Being able to do those kinds of things without having to take people outside of an environment, it's really hard to express how valuable that is. The amount you're saving in travel and time and lodging, the fact that if you're going with a virtual environment, that means you don't have to have a physical space set aside to run simulations, which probably is not something that most companies could do anyway. I don't think there are a lot many companies who are saying, yeah, we have a spare warehouse that we don't use for our business, but we just use it to train people. That's not a luxury that most companies have. So being able to have a tool that lets you do that virtually, I could see that being invaluable. Yeah. And you know what? You just think about the personal. You know, a lot of times you travel two hours to to get to a meeting. You have four hours of meeting. Then you have a dinner and then you travel two hours home. Your whole day is shot, right? 
and you know you miss your daughter's softball game. Well, you know now instead of burning the entire day, you pop on the headset for a couple of hours. You do a couple of it on Zoom, and next thing you know, you have learned as much or more than you would have learned at the actual location, and the cost is dramatically less. So it provides an efficiency, a, a lean efficiency for the employer, and it provides more time for the employee to uh, to enjoy their family or just be more productive at work. Can you tell me a little bit about how you go about assessing and managing risk in what you do? I imagine that your work requires uh, partnering with lots of other companies. How do you evaluate that and make decisions? What are the criteria that are important to you? Well, first of all, there's a balance between working with, say, the Fortune 500 companies who, you know, fairly risk averse. And then the startups who, you know, they're going to burn the bridges behind them. So you need both. And you have to really make sure that the people that you work with are people that you trust. And so there are clearly some checklists on certifications and other safety standards and safety records that you can check those lists. But at the end of the day, Victory XR is my fourth company. And I have learned over the years that uh, the people you work with, if they can be trusted, then if there's a problem, at the very least, they will make a good faith effort to solve that issue. Well, Steve, I just have a few more questions to round out this interview, which has been truly fascinating. The first one, I think, is arguably the most important question I can ask you, which is, what is a question you wish I had asked you but didn't? Well, I think asking me a question about the coolest stuff we're doing is always a good question. I am an education nerd, so everything you've said has been the coolest to me, but I want to know what you think is the coolest. Sure. Well, this is a stupid question to ask myself because there's a bunch of those things. (laughs) Students study astronomy both in uh, high school and uh, in higher education. And so we wanted to create a way to learn astronomy. And so we can recreate the classroom however we want. So I told our developers that to build a ground-based observatory, but you have to build into it a Star Trek-style transporter. And after you beam up, you land in the starship, and then you can put on your spacesuit and go out for a spacewalk and learn about astronomy that way. It's a wonderful gift to be able to go to a planetarium and look up at the stars. But in our world, you get a step into the transporter, you see these dots and waves, and you hear this sound that sounds like you're on Star Trek. And then next thing you know, boom, you're on the starship. And then from there, they can go outside and they can bring in planets or solar systems, whatever you want to do. So to me, pretty cool. Uh, no argument here. I'm also a lifelong Star Trek fan. And honestly, going through a transporter through VR is the only way I would do it. So (laughs) so I think that that's the right way to do it. Of course, I could not let Steve go without asking him one more thing. What would you say is one of your proudest accomplishments? Well... I would tell you a quick little story. We are getting a larger team, but we started with a very small team. And I was with a college buddy of mine back in Iowa City. And we were 
on a rooftop having a, a beverage. Former science teacher and assistant superintendent of schools. And he leaned over and said, you know what you need? You need dissection in VR. And I said, hmm, okay, tell me why. And he told me why. And I said, okay. So I went home the next Monday. I pulled my team together and I said, why don't we create dissection in VR? So my guys got together. They sort of scoped it out. Eight weeks later, we have a full frog dissection with Wendy, the science teacher, a hologram, whole package. Well, we were nominated to submit that into the award for uh, Viveport's best VR education experiences, like the Academy Award for virtual reality education. And uh, we were the only American company nominated, and we ended up winning the best global virtual reality education experience. And uh, it just all came from listening and then our team taking eight weeks to build an amazing experience. Wow. That's a phenomenal turnaround time for anyone who hasn't been involved in developing something like that. It's an incredible accomplishment. That was exactly the kind of answer I was hoping for. Steve, thank you so much for your time. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Happy to have been a part of it. Thank you. Thanks again to Steve Grubbs for his time with us. As a longtime fan of virtual reality, I found it incredibly exciting to get a glimpse of how the discipline has come into its own. Not only do I find the educational application of VR and AR exciting, but also the broader impact of mixed reality seems like it's going to be far more dramatic than I anticipated. None of that would be possible were it not for advancements in miniaturization, processing power at the edge, and, of course, 5G technology allowing for those high-bandwidth, low-latency connections powering it all. Join us for future episodes of The Restless Ones, where we will continue to explore how leadership and new technologies have opened up opportunities that just a few years ago would fall into the category of science fiction. We'll see you then. T-Mobile for Business knows companies want more than a one-size-fits-all approach to support. I want the world. So we provide 360 support customized to your business. From discovery through post-deployment, you'll get a dedicated account team and expertise from solutions engineers and industry advisors already right now. I want it now. 360 support that's customized for your success. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. 